You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents... Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our Monster Talk audience... And the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Rating us on iTunes is great, but positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering Monster Talk listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk and look through their incredible collection for your selection. Download and start listening on your phone, computer, or tablet. That's audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. Monster talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. As you may recall, I was running a GoFundMe uh, to raise money to get new artwork for the Monster Talk website. Thanks to your generous donations and especially to one. Oh my gosh, really generous anonymous donor. Uh, we are fully funded, and I'm working with the artists now to get our art together. So thank you for everyone who contributed, and especially to that someone who contributed such a large amount. Your support is humbling and amazing, and I'm just overwhelmed. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. When I was a kid, a teacher told me that it's really important to have strong, abstract thinking skills. It's funny because she told me that, but didn't clearly explain what abstract thinking means. When I tried to look it up, I ran into abstract art, things like Picasso's cubism, and suddenly felt perplexed as to how this kind of thing could possibly be useful. But later, 
As I embarked on a variety of creative endeavors, I realized that abstraction is the ability to model the real world in ways that allow us to better understand it. Writing's a form of abstraction. Painting, sculpture, computer programming, mathematics, acting, gaming. These are all ways of modeling the real and toying with it in sometimes unreal ways. I've become increasingly convinced that if anything makes us special as a species in the world, it's our ability to think abstractly and model a variety of outcomes or variants on a theme so that we can better understand the real world. Art, if it seeks to emulate or comment on the real world, relies not only on the abstract thinking of the artist, but upon each observer's own mindset. Some works of art lurk around us, affecting our sense of place in ways we might not even be aware of. They can bring us unease or comfort or any of the hues of the colorless spectrum that paints our emotions. We talked about gargoyles way back in episode 153 with Matthew Duman. He's expanded his work in documenting the numerous works of art that adorn Gothic campus architecture in a new book called The Grotesque Ten. I've put some images from the book in the show notes. Please have a look. I think he's proved that playing Bela Lugosa is dead on repeat is not the only way to bring Gothic into your living room. Before we hop into this interview, I want to bring to your attention the first of several new projects that I've been working on in pretty much every spare moment for the past couple of years. None of these projects are going to take me away from Monster Talk, but they do let me expand on some of my other passions. The first is a new horror podcast, which I've cleverly titled The Horror Podcast. You can find it at thehorrorpod.com or at patreon.com forward slash thehorrorpodcast. As I record this, it's just been released into iTunes. You should be able to find a link in our website, in the show notes, or at Patreon, or in your iTunes, or in your podcast aggregator of choice. Hopefully, very soon it will show up on Spotify, Pandora, and all the other outlets that people like to listen to shows on. Another project I've been working on will be announced during episode 200. That project will be more directly related to the subject matter of that particular episode, and I'm very excited about it. But that's all I have to say about that right now. Stay tuned. Oh, and coming up in episode 199 is our coverage of Ouija boards. I thought about delaying that until October, but it's been delayed far too long already and needs to get out of its box and see some daylight. I'm trying to get this episode out so that I can head down to DragonCon 2019, where I'll be moderating an interesting panel on Saturday about horror movies based on allegedly true stories. And then on Sunday, I'll be in the horror track on multiple panels around folk horror, one-shot slasher movies, and, you'll love this, Bigfoot horror movies. Those should all be fun. I hope you can make it if you're down here. And next weekend, I will be attending CryptidCon in Kentucky in Lexington. They didn't bring me on as a panelist this year, but Jeb Card and I will be lurking around and enjoying the cryptid ambiance. And if you're in Lexington and are making it to CryptidCon, I hope we get to meet. All right, well, that's enough shop talk. It's time to now talk about all these strange and monstrous faces leering at us from the peaks and angles of this mysterious Gothic architecture. Please do check out the show notes because, as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words of Monster Talk. Today. 
Today, we welcome back Matthew Duman, a photographer and graphic designer who grew up in Bethany, Connecticut. He attended the Gargoyle Free Campus of Central Connecticut State University, but while studying abroad, developed a fascination with the grotesque sculptures of the cathedrals of Britain. He joined us last year for episode 153 on gargoyles and now has a new book called Grotesque 10, which highlights the gothic art features of 10 campuses around America with stunning photographs that take you up close to these amazing works of craftsmanship. Welcome back to Monster Talk, Matthew. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I, I kind of think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What led you to do this follow-up book to your Gargoyles book? Well, for the previous book, the one about Yale, to promote it, I was doing a lot of lectures and things uh, at libraries and different organizations. And a lot of lectures that I gave, after the lecture, people would raise their hand or come up to me and say, you know, you should go to this campus, you should go to Duke, you should go to Princeton, you know, there's great stuff there. And it really, after a while, it really got to me. I'm like, you know, I'm missing missing out on a lot of things. I decided right then and there to, that I would visit these campuses. So you've got the University of Pennsylvania, Northwestern yep. University. And so I'm, this is my ignorance, but can you kind of fill in the state for these? So I obviously University of Pennsylvania is Pennsylvania. Northwestern University, is that Illinois? Yes. Okay. And then Duke University? Yep, North Carolina. North Carolina. And Princeton University? Yep, New Jersey. You probably didn't know you were going to get quizzed, did you? Uh, <laughs> Washington University in St. Louis is right there. Uh, yep. And then you got Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. And the yep. University of Chicago, which I believe is also in Illinois. What? Yep. <laughs> the City College of New York, which mm, I'm going to go with New York. Yes, I think so. Awesome. Okay. Oh, this is like a bar trivia thing. Um, Just don't ask me the capitals of these things. No, 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 no. That's, we'll leave that for the sixth graders. Um, <laughs> the, uh, okay. I, is this, is Bryn Mawr College? Is that right? Bryn Mawr. Mar, yeah. Bryn Mawr. Uh, and that's in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania as well. Oh, that's right. Okay. Actually, when I saw that, I read, I, I, I did a little reading about it. And then you've got Yale University. Yes. Which is? In Connecticut. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's the closest one to me. Yeah, no, I I just was thinking back on our conversation from before. I, I that that's so cool. Okay. Well, see, Yale uh, with the other book, I I wanted to include Yale in this one, but I didn't want to repeat myself. Right. Luckily, um, between the time my old book and my new book, Yale opened up two new residence colleges built in the collegiate Gothic style just two years ago. So. Um, so it was good fortune for me, all, all new grotesques. I think, you know, if people haven't heard the Gargoyle episode, again, that's episode 153, I do encourage people to go check it out. And I'll also mention the Gargoyle book, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, as well as your new book. I've been doing Monster Talk, uh, it'll be 10 years in July. And in all that time, your book is the only book that my wife, the lovely Mrs. Dr. Atlantis, uh, <laughs> has has stolen from me. <laughs> really? Yeah. And keeps oh, her book collection. Yeah, no, for real. It is. Yeah. She absolutely, she said, I have to have this. And off she went with it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I imagine when we get the physical copy, she hasn't asked for the PDF, but when I get, <laughs> when I get the actual <laughs> copy of your grotesque book, uh, I think yeah. she'll really like that as well. This It's really, okay. really cool. Um, yeah, this one, this one has the new one has over 500 images. Yeah, and uh, 300 pages, and I 
I, each one of those images I, I edited myself and many times and to bring out the highlights and the dark and the shadows and all that. Well, how, a lot of how long it. did, uh, how long were you collecting these photos? How, I mean, this, you were just talking to me a year ago about the other book. So, mm-hmm. well, during, uh, I've been working on this one for the past, I don't know, five, five years or so. Um, it was really started out. I was when I could get time off to go, to go travel to these places. Yeah. And then once I had, I had, I would get a couple thousand, a thousand or so images from each place. Then I had to go through and edit it and try to pick out, pick out ones that I really liked and that, that had meaning. And then I had, I didn't really know of any book that was similar to this. So I had to kind of feel, feel out how to, how to structure the book. And um, all that took a lot of time. (laughs) Well, I like the way you've got it laid out. It's it's just gorgeous photography. And um, it it also reminded me of some of my ignorance. So so I always like to learn new things. And and How do you mean? It's it's the... um, You you don't know what you don't know until you run into it, right? (laughs) Yeah. So... Gothic architecture. Can you you talk a little bit about this in 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 the written portion of the book? I realize there's it's a lot of photographs, but you do have written portions as well. Um, can you talk about this Gothic architecture in American colleges and why that became a thing? Because uh, I I for some reason I I think I had thought that it was always like that, and that's not really the case exactly. So well, back in back in the nineteenth century, about the mid nineteenth century. The American colleges, they really didn't have the the cultural status that they enjoy today and, and the nostalgia that people put on them. Um, back then, they were just seen as kind of like factories to produce people trained for to be a doctor or a lawyer or a priest or something. They were and they're, they're, they didn't have much um, cultural clout. So and that meant, well, and plus they were they were pretty poor as well. So a big reason why they adopted the Gothic, a Gothic, they revived the Gothic architectural style is actually money. When you get down to it, they, um, they revived the style to, um, to create a, like an unspoken connection with the, um, the medieval universities of Europe, like, like Oxford or Cambridge. And, and this elevated the status of American schools, and in turn, their their endowments and their the the donations they got as well. Yeah, wait, I get, couldn't get the mute turned off. Sorry, there. Uh, there was a particular phrase you used that I really liked a lot. Let me see if I can find it right quick. I should have cut it and pasted it into my doc. Um, but you basically talked about how that the Gothic architecture gave the campuses a sort of um uh like a a, a gravity uh, you know that, that they didn't have otherwise which i yeah an, an air of tradition and, and permanence yeah yeah exactly and so and it's effective and i can tell you how effective it is because i uh went to a so i do a lot of research and sometimes there's rare books i want to look at for for actually for preparing this show. And, and, and one time I couldn't get one from the loan inter, interlibrary loan system. So I had to drive up, uh, into the mountains of Tennessee to a little college up there and mm-hmm. uh, beautiful Gothic 
architecture all over the campus. But the, it turns out that the, even though it looks like it's, you know, 200 years old, it's not. Uh, it's exactly tying into this sort of uh, this tradition of uh, this, you know, late 19th, early 20th century uh, Gothic architecture. And there's schools around here that also have that. And they, they, I love it, though, because growing up, when I see those schools, I always feel like they have this like like an intellectual weight to them. They've like they, they seem like they've mm-hmm. been around forever. Um, yeah, and not only they have have they been around for forever. By extension, you you think they will be around forever. Yes, yes. In the future, it's really impressive. But uh, you know, the Gothic architecture is really not complete without these grotesques and gargoyles. So let's. <laughs> yes, that's my favorite part. Of yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> so so what can we talk about where you found the most interesting pieces? I mean, you had to make a lot of selections. Obviously you couldn't include everything. So how did you decide what to include? Well, I, I tried to, I tried to pick ones that I could actually say something about. I didn't want to, the, when you start something like this, the, the tendency is just to throw stuff in that looks neat. And I didn't want to do that. And so I, so I wanted to, Predominantly, most of my images, because I, I had something to say about them, or they had some significance, and that—that's mainly how how I um, how I made the decision. But I wanted to choose wanted to choose images that I could actually say something about that had some significance to either the architecture or the school, and that's what really dictated what what I put in. There's something fascinating about the disparity of seeing this gothic art style representing modernity uh you've got cases where people are driving cars or yeah uh, using the phonograph yes. you know that it that's so interesting there's one at the uh, the new colleges at yale and it's a um it's kind of it's kind of a series and it kind of depicts the history of the written word and it goes it has like a an old stone tablet and then it has a scroll and then it has a medieval book and then it has a modern book, and then it has a um, an electronic tablet, like an iPad. Oh, really? That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. And that was just done a few years, like two years ago. Well, you actually had a, another written chapter talking about reconciling the different architectural styles. Yeah, I found that very interesting at Yale. What they did at one point, they had they had this one residential college. Is basically the, a residential college is a a really um, well-appointed dorm, a multi-building dorm that's connect that's all connected, and it has all the amenities and everything. And this Davenport College, it's called, it's built in the like the Georgian style from from um, late 18th century England, and it surrounds a courtyard. But the the front building fronts out onto York Street, and then all the buildings around it are collegiate Gothic. So what they did was the the whole Davenport college is done in the Georgian style, except for the facade of the front building and the front facade of that building at at Davenport college is the collegiate Gothic style. So it's in harmony with the other, with the other colleges down the street, but you go under the through the tunnel and out into the courtyard and you're you're in the Georgian world. There you go. So it's just like <laughs> like everybody wants what gothic in the front, Georgian in the back. 
I, maybe nobody wants that, but there it is. It looks cool. It's your photography there is really neat in the book because you're showing. You can tell it's basically the same building, but you're seeing the two different sides of it. So, speaking of Gothic architecture, uh, this is not covered in your book. Your book is dealing with these campuses, but did you have any uh, observations about the recent Notre Dame fire in Paris? I, I know that uh, when people think about this kind of architecture, that's one of the go-to places where you see gargoyles and that sort of ornate, uh, you know, e- external structure. And it was really heartbreaking to see it burning. Yeah, when I first, I was devastated when I first heard about that and heard it was still burning uh, for for a long period of time. Cause, because from when I was a kid, I mean, there are many uh, Gothic cathedrals in Europe, but, but that was that's the most iconic for me. And that's whenever you say a Gothic cathedral, that's immediately what I think of. And yeah, I was uh, I wasn't too happy about that. And I kept I kept waiting for them to say, well, it's it was just a small fire and we put it out, but it it went on for a while. And um, from um, from what I've from what I've read, not a lot of the of the grotesques were damaged to in any big degree, from what I hear. Um, and I heard that they actually are going to remove them and then and then um, and go back and rebuild and then put and then put the uh, grotesque back. Oh, wow. So, OK. So, yeah. So hopefully not too many of them were damaged because I know that I know they, you know, they're the ones made of stone, they can't burn, but they still can be damaged from the heat. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, uh, and all the, the acidity and all that other stuff. So the, the just the history and, and the artistry oh, yeah. and the fact that it took hundreds of year, years to build. Uh, and I mean, now, theoretically, it could be built faster. But even the cathedrals in America uh, are slow. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Not, it's it's like you may be able to put things back fast in a modern way, but I'm just not so sure how quickly they they can do that. And I know people are pledging lots of money and that sort of thing, but um, it's um, it's still tragic to see that kind of history disappear. Oh, yeah. So or being damaged, even if it doesn't disappear. Because even with the with the grotesque and gargoyles there, I mean, a big reason why I'm so into into this is because they're kind of you know, they're messages from the, from the past. Yeah. That you, and, you know, that go through time. And now the, the, the colleges that I did in America are, you know, the old, the, the oldest ones are, you know, hundred, 200 years old. But when you talk about, um, cathedrals like Notre Dame, that's, that's a whole, they're a lot older <laughs> and, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot more of a loss. It is. It is. But I think the the things that are, you know, built in stone here have a good chance of lasting a long time. So I, mm-hmm. I and I also I think one of the things that I like about your book is that I can't afford to go to all these campuses and walk around and look <laughs> at the architecture. And in my personal experience is when I was in college. I didn't have time to really take that stuff in either. I, I didn't have time to really walk around and look at the architecture and, you know, look at all the little details because I was busy trying to finish my coursework. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I found when I when I go to these campuses and even at Yale, 
is a lot of people, even be they students or, or professor or faculty members or just people that live in the area, a lot of people just don't look up and, and, and see these, these sculpture. Yeah. Yeah, at least now people usually have a camera with a with them all the time. Because well, Oglethorpe is our, our big Gothic architecture here in the Atlanta area, and it's got mm-hmm. um for years they did the Shakespeare Festival there. So you'd be in this sort of Gothic architectural milieu, and then there would be this outdoor theater uh, for the Shakespeare uh, plays, which was great. It, it really added to the experience. yeah with the, the atmosphere. Of yeah, the whole, so that was really nice. But alas, that has stopped. the The college is still there, but the Shakespeare uh-huh. festivals discontinued. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti, and I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and are useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur injuries, <laughs> paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, when I went to these campuses and I talked to people and I showed them what I found on their own campus, and a lot of times they they were amazed. And now I'm not saying I have any superpower, and actually, I actually I wear glasses, so oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's more it's more that it's more my mindset because I'm new to these places, so I'm taking in every detail. When when you live and work at a place for a long period of time, you kind of kind of skip over the detail and to and take it for granted and it only and it takes you going to a new place to um to to really take something in to to the to to a big extent and that's what that's what i found the imagery it reminds me that like it it's actually with a lot of the 3d printing techniques and some other things going on it would be really pretty easy to make these sort of grotesque figures for your own house uh, you could probably, you know, render them in th- 3D and then like make a cast of it and then pour it in concrete or something like that. I don't know how you'd mount it on the wall. I guess you could put bolts <laughs> into it. But I mean, it it would be a very trivial thing to sort of put small versions of these around the house. I I, I think I might look into that. That would be really cool. Yeah. 
especially inside the house. But you in, you reminded me of that because you have these. Um, you included the sort of end of the pew architecture. I, are those still called grotesques when they're uh, sort of put on the end of pews in armrests? There probably is a more technical name. I, I use grotesque in a very very broad sense to mean any any sculpted decoration on or or in a building. So I included and I included those because because I like them as well. Yeah, no, and they they, they remind me of so much Mr. James. They should, that kind of the imagery shows up in his ghost stories uh, sometimes very yeah. critically. Was it the stalls of Barchester? I think is one. Yeah, 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 and. Yeah. Um, I don't want to misquote, but I think that's correct. And uh, it just it's that kind of feature uh, that adds that sort of well, it adds gothic atmosphere quite literally uh, to, mm-hmm. to the experience of going there. It's very neat, and and the photographs you have are just. Um, I should probably it probably sounds like I'm just trying to sell your book, but I really, <laughs> I really <laughs> did like going. it a lot. So, <laughs> well, I got I had photographed the outside. Uh, this is at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, and um, and somebody told me afterwards that there's some great things inside the cathedral, the the chapel there. So I I had to to get in contact with the chaplain and go through the um, uh, public relations office. And the only stipulations they had was whenever I refer to Trinity College in the book, it wasn't Trinity College; it was Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> and then they wanted to see the um, they wanted to see the book before it went to press, right? But other than that, there was, and and then they did, and they had one change, and that's it. So, but it's interesting that you bring up uh, M.R. James because I had, I had read some of his stories a, wh- a while ago. I looked into his life, and um, and he was he very much exemplified what what um, collegiate gothic wants to convey. Because he was he was a lifelong academic, and he and he was provost at um and well he was a student and then a provost at Eton and, and then then at um Cambridge as well, and so he 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 um really exemplified those pious academic values that collegiate Gothic architecture wants wants to convey. Absolutely, he did. Yeah, he he um. I think he he might not. I mean, I know he liked to tell stories and uh, uh, teach and be a part of the, that college atmosphere. But I, I get the impression he also really, really enjoyed doing that sort of archivist work uh, around uh, going into old book collections and figuring out what was there, and you know, making lists and indexing and just doing that kind of research. Just yeah, and finding and finding obscure things. Oh and yeah, yeah, missed. yeah. So. And also, if you look at the years from his, his birth to his death, he he was born in 1862 and died in 1936. That's roughly about the time collegiate Gothic architecture w- was popular in America. Wow, that's that's yeah. So he kind of end capped it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's neat. Now, I I noticed just in the text, um, you you mentioned that. Uh, one of the colleges is known as the Hogwarts of New York. And oh yeah, City College of New York. That, yeah. I thought that was really funny. Did did you? Are there any other sort of um, interesting nicknames or uh, uh, sort of that sort that kind of trivia or that sort of 
fact around these colleges that, that, that are worth mentioning while we're together here? Well, there's a lot. Yeah, when you look into the architecture and the history of these schools, it turns up a lot of um, a lot of related topics and personal dramas. And like for the actually at the City College of New York, I, when I was there, I, those buildings, those original buildings were built in the, in the very early 1900s, like 1904, 1905. And I, I was looking at the sculpture. I'm like, wow, it looks in really good condition to be over a, well over 100 years old. And then I did some research, and it turns out, well, those aren't the originals. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Back in the early 1900s, when they did all this, they sculpted the, um, the the grotesques, and they made them out of terracotta, and then they covered them with a thick, glossy glaze. And then from the beginning, no one liked the glossy finish, so they had them sandblasted. Wow. Now, no one knew this at the time, but the sandblasting created all these little mini cracks yeah in the finish and that allowed moisture to get in and there was freezing, freezing and falling, and falling. And yeah, yeah. Cracks. and then by the time about the 60s and the 70s a lot of the grotesques were falling off the buildings so Yikes. in the 80s they took them all down recast them and put them and and of this more durable material and put them up and then they put the old ones in storage and then I saw an article that some of them were dumped somewhere on the uh, the City College of New York campus, and it said by the architecture building. So I looked up the architecture building. It's called Spitzer School of Architecture, and then I found it on Google Maps and, and zoomed way down on it, and you could see on one side of the building there's all these little white blotches. And then I went down there, and there's about 60 grotesques just thrown into the uh, – into the grass right by a parking lot. So it's kind of like a grotesque graveyard. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I have that a little panorama of all the old grotesques, and I I kind of skillfully cut it, cropped it out, but just to the left of the one all the way to the left is the – if I would have went just a little more, you could see that you would have seen the back bumper of a car backed up to it. That's so neat. <laughs> I like, I like, there's so many cool images in here. You have, um, there's, there's skeletons and, and drinking people and these sort oh, yeah. of, uh, uh, there's people who look like they might be, uh, you know, based on real people, people who are clearly, <laughs> you know, in animals. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, it's just, well, I don't know I've ever seen anything with this many images of American grotesques. It's just, I think this is a must have if you like this sort of architectural feature. This is, and it basically is just something that I was really interested in, and I just kind of followed it to, to I'm not going to say conclusion, but I, I followed it out. And well, I know my wife's going to like what it. I ended up with. Yeah, but I mean, she it's it, when I think about you know people say coffee table books, you know, um, yeah. But it's the kind of thing you could put in your house, and, and somebody could pick it up, and any time you pick it up, you're going to find something interesting to look at. Uh, it's just, it's just. Got yeah, it's so definitely many. not something you read once and put away. Right, right. No, it, and it, I always remind my kids when I get a chance. You know, I, when I go to places where they have paintings up, I'll start staring at the paintings, or and I'm just inclined to look at stuff, right? And uh, yeah, and my wife and children sometimes are like, why do you keep staring at? It? Like because I always see something different, right? And uh, mm -hmm. and I think before television, you know, when people put up art. 
it wasn't necessarily just to show like we do a lot of I, I think what you would say cultural signaling with art you know I you put up yeah. things about you know these are the things I'm interested in these are the bands I like or you know these mm-hmm. are movies I this like. is what yeah this is part of my identity right but a lot of art I think can be you know expressing multiple ideas and it's really fun to sort of imagine what did the artist think and you know what does the context of it mean and 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 I think there's just a lot going on there beyond you know you're walking past a building that's got some stuff on it in the book i kind of break the the types of grotesques up into by their subject matter i call them breeds of grotesque and at first i was going to call them um species of grotesque and i was i was going to make up all these latin names and stuff and i was really into it and then i realized well that's kind of that analogy is kind of flawed because well, uh, the scientific def- definition of a species is that they can't, they can't, um, they can't breed. Cross animals, two, yeah, different yeah. species cannot produce offspring. Yeah. So that's why, and that's why I changed it to breeds because different breeds of animal reproduce all the time, like like mixed breed dogs or cats, and because these grotesques, they might look, you you can look at them many times and see many different shades of meaning in them. Exactly. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say about it or anything, any images you'd like to talk about a little bit? The one I have on the cover, originally I had, I was going to have just kind of a collage of all these different small images. And then I was looking at them like, you know, I really think I want, I want something that gets your attention from far away. Yeah. Yeah. And what's better than a big face? Yeah. So, uh, and this one, th- that's at um, the University of Pennsylvania in their huge uh, residential quadrangle. And you mentioned the size in the text. How big is that? Yeah, thing? because that's another thing about it. It's over four feet tall and mounted on a wall in a tunnel. And if you, you can probably see in the photo, there's these, these like kind of iron bars that, that co- are, are coming out from the sides of it. Yep. And, um, it's kind of cropped off, but they, they meet in the center right in front of the face and there's kind of a, like a lantern or a lamp. And so, and I kept thinking, you know, seeing that face, I mean, I was there in the daytime, but if you come back late at night and you see that face under harsh light, that's pretty, pretty unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Giant four foot leering. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's little, there's little strange faces on either side of it as well. It makes me want to go back to college, but a, but a different college. <laughs> well, yeah, that's because because you were saying you went you, you, about your school. I, I went to um, Central Connecticut State University, and and it was we didn't have any kind of gothic buildings or any kind of grotesque like that, and so that's why I, I love going to these schools and then seeing this 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 really deep tradition. That they, that they convey. Yeah, and, and I think it's very effective. Uh, very effective. I mean, I, I didn't know much about it until uh, our two discussions and looking at your books, but uh, it makes me want to go see them myself, although it's way easier just to look at this book. <laughs> just, <on> yeah. <laughs> and some of those, I had I had a pretty powerful lens. Some of those are pretty, pretty, pretty high. Right. Yeah, I figured as much. <laughs> I figured a lot of these would be really out of the way. Uh and some of them are tucked into uh, n- niches. I, or niche. I, some of these are tucked away in places you wouldn't even see them um, you know, necessarily. Monster dog. 
This episode of Monster Talks brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering Monster Talk listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk, browse through their unmatched collection of titles, select one, and download it. It's that easy. That's audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. When I decided to run ads for Monster Talk, going with Audible was the easiest choice because I've used it for so long. I've been an Audible member since 2003, and I listen to it all the time. I use Audible to prepare for many episodes of this show. Many of the books that we talk about on Monster Talk are available as Audible selections. My pick for this month is The Frighteners by Peter Laws. We will be talking to Peter Laws this month about this fascinating look at the ways in which horror and spooky culture can be helpful or even therapeutic, while still causing some people to give us disapproving stares. With Audible, I was able to listen to The Frighteners while I did chores, mowed the grass, and shopped for groceries. I can move seamlessly from my phone to my tablet to my computer, and Audible keeps up with my progress. You can select any of Audible's titles when you sign up for your 30-day trial membership at audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. But I'm happy to make Peter Law's book, The Frighteners, my suggestion for this month. To download your free audiobook while also supporting our show, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk and sign up today. That's audibletrial.com forward slash monster talk. Monster Talk. How long did you spend on these campuses to collect these photos? Um, well, for a campus like Yale, I lived just in the next town, so I could always i had, i had some pretty i could always just go whenever I had time. But when you're talking about like University of Chicago or Washington University in St. Louis, I had to, i I was kind of limited the amount of time I could spend there, so I spent I don't know about uh, four or five days or so. I'd always go, I always planned to go in the winter or early spring because I knew from my time at Yale, I learned that the leaves cover a lot of these. Oh and, yeah. Uh, and so you always have to go when the leaves are off the trees to, 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 to get all of them. I didn't want to come back and realize that I missed, missed, missed a lot of them. Right. That makes good sense. And, and <laughs> it sounds like you did a lot of investigations on some of the stories and uh, to find the, the things you needed to take. That's really yeah. cool. Uh, when I could, I I got in contact with like an archivist, like actually at Duke. I Before I went, somebody told me that the, um, the president, Richard Broadhead, went to Yale. And not only did he get his undergraduate graduate degrees, he was an English professor and dean of Yale College for many years. He spent a lot of time at Yale. So what I did was I sent him a copy of my Yale book and I said, I'm, I'm coming down um, to, to photograph at Duke University. And now he didn't contact me directly, but he had a, somebody from the public relations, relations department. And they put me in contact with an archivist there. And they set me up with a lot of old um, descriptions of all the, um, the residential quadrangles there. So, oh, so a lot wow. of times it worked out. That, that is that fantastic. Information. So cool. My company is that I work for. They're based in Detroit. Detroit has a lot of interesting architecture, I guess, from the um, between the 30s and the 50s. And some of that incorporates the same kind of stuff. And the Detroit Free Press Building uh, has around its exterior um, all of these really interesting, um, I, I would say they're also qualified as grotesques, built into the uh, uh, just a, above maybe like below the second story above the first 
in that sort mm. of mezzanine type level on the exterior of the building. And they recently uh, vacated that that building. And uh, I hope that something good happens to it. But it's just got these amazing pictures of various uh, sort of uh, historical events or, or concepts of transportation and air, airplanes. Oh, and so, wow, yeah. But done in stone. That whole city is just full of astonishing architecture. I mean, that's not my... Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate it, but I know almost nothing about it. And, uh, and, but I, I still, when I have time, I like to go wander around, even in the business districts. You can kind of get the impression because there was a time when Detroit was an absolutely stunning, uh, active, vibrant industrial center. And it, yeah. it, and it's going through kind of a, a, a comeback now, which is awesome. Um, but I would have loved to have seen it at its height. You know, it, it's, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, seeing some striking person in an old folks home. <laughs> you know, like, wow, they must have been amazing. I like that when. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's how I feel. I'm, it'll it'll bounce back. It's doing pretty well, but I just I just love all those remnants of those glory days, you know, stuck around there. It's really neat. And that that that's also we we don't know, but you know, 200 years from now, those buildings will be really old, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those campus photos will be, you know, digital, but they'll <laughs> <laughs> they'll they, they they still the 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 gravitas that they attempt now will be legit in a couple of hundred years and if unless yeah. something bad happens they'll still be there that's amazing well so. well they they put a lot of i call them aging techniques uh into the buildings to make you think that they're older than they actually are yeah it's like fake id cards uh. yeah <laughs> and the funny thing is when i tell people that a small percentage of, of people get take it personally and oh. get personally insulted. And they think that, oh, this this school is trying to dupe me. Well, it really isn't. I don't see it that way. The, these buildings are very theatrical. Yes. You can easily go and find what they're, they're not hiding when the building was constructed. Or you can easily find, you know, the history of the building and when it was constructed. Um, they're not hiding anything. But they're just... It's just part of the theatricality of the campus. Like, and I always, I always compare it to like, um, like Disney World in Florida. Nobody actually believes that a, a medieval people came during the medieval period and constructed a castle in a, in a Florida swamp. Right. And then, then some pirates and some retro futurists and and ex presidents took up residence there. And that's when they built a great that, railroad around it, right? <laughs> yeah. But you go down there and you have fun just the same. Yeah. And there's also something. Uh, there's this whole field of I think it's called semiotics, which is about signaling, and and that mm-hmm. we as humans we signal each other all the time. And I, I you when you around the house you dress one way when you're going shopping you might dress another and you're not really conscious of it right but when you go to a business interview you're trying to present a particular side of yourself you're not trying to pretend to be somebody you're not hopefully but you're trying to pretend to be look at me i'm competent and that starts with my clothes you're trying to say something right yeah and so i imagine that 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 architecture there not only brings them into mind of uh age stability venerability but also uh, the sort of reverence of, of academia that they would expect the students to have. I, I imagine it has an interesting effect that I just it would it would automatically put you inspired to be I'm on a campus right now that, that I'm about to learn something you know and I'm part of a yeah. long tradition of learning things. So I mean, there are times when I, whenever I just want to go and you know think about a project or something, I 
I go to Yale and go to Sterling Memorial Library there just because it's like a Gothic cathedral inside and out. Yeah. Oh. And it just it's just basically inspiring. And with all these aging techniques that I was talking about, they're meant to work on you on a almost subliminal unconscious level. And you're just supposed to draw the conclusion unconsciously that these buildings are are pretty darn old. You don't know really how old, but older than any other man-made structure nearby. Yeah. And, and, and especially the libraries. That For me, uh, libraries are my church, you know. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just... I, I feel so awed at the scope of humans reaching out, trying to share their ideas and concepts. Uh, you know, all those voices bound in paper. It's just so touching. Wow, you're poetic like that. Oh, well. <laughs> well, and, and look, and surrounded by all the imagery that you've captured. So it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's very strange when you go to a library like Sterling, which is, I said, like a Gothic cathedral inside and out. Yeah. If you take a certain turn, maybe to go to the, the they have certain areas that just for staff and a couple times like the door was left open. I look inside and it's all just tiled. It's a totally, totally different aesthetic. Oh, or they yeah. maybe renovated part of the building and made it very modern. And it, it's it's very jarring. Actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> like it's like a, a backwards line, the witch in the wardrobe. You go from this fantasy world into the modernity, right? So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Matthew, thank you so much for coming back to talk to us again. I know you like uh, you you're like you're a big fan of puns. I am. Well, um, <laughs> which I've done this... almost none of in this interview. I think I think Karen <laughs> gives me the slack I need to be thinking about puns. I'm having to do. Uh, I'm staying focused here. So, yeah. so there's this um, one of the puns at uh, Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, um, is one of the the chapel's primary donor was William Mather. Now he's a descendant of Cotton Mather, who came over in the Mayflower during in colonial America, and he, yeah. For his pew end, he was descended from the, from the Matthews who came over on the Mayflower. So right. yeah. his pew end depicts, it shows, in the foreground, it shows, it shows like a preacher. They're on the kind of beach in Massachusetts, and there's there's all the Mathers, and they're kneeling in prayer. They're thanking God for their safe journey to the new world, and see a preacher. And in the background, you see the Mayflower at anchor. Well, in the middle ground, you see these two figures, and it's really small, you have to look closely, but and one of them is a settler with a gun, and he's chasing a, a Native American. And that was based on a pun that William Mather once told. He said that um, that my family is the sort who, when they first came to the to the New World, they fell upon their knees in prayer, and then they fell upon the Aborigines. Oh wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> Very <Yeah>. unpc. <laughs> this was in the thirties. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, so uh, to, it's not that uh, it was Cotton and Increase Mather were both heavily involved and blamed for the Salem witchcraft trials. So yes, I yeah, knew, yeah yes. I knew they were involved. Somewhere. Yeah, absolutely involved, and uh, and uh, Cotton Mather in particular, uh, and in Increase. Um, but that's a great pun, uh, and it's, yeah. it's it's insightful and uh, damning at the same time. So <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, I, you know, I think we already asked you what your favorite monster was. Um, do you have any? Yeah, Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, and that's, and uh, we'll probably be doing more coverage of that. You know, since we talked, I got to talk to a um, 
a guy who did a uh, environmental DNA study of Loch Ness, and I'm really anxious to hear what he found. I, d- I don't think he found Nessie, but I'm I'm sure they found some interesting stuff because they basically collected water from all these different depths of the water in the loch. And, okay. then, and then from there, they can take all those water samples and run through and sort of collect all the DNA from the animals and life forms living at those different layers of the lake. Okay, and actually identify them? Yeah, isn't that amazing? So just they can filter them out and run them through the gene bank and find out precisely what's in there. And if there's new stuff, they can help identify it. So, I mean, it's, it's anytime you go and do a deep study of a new environment, you're likely to find new species just because yeah. life's really varied way more than we have investigated. So, But with their, what they do is they take the DNA and then they can look at it and see what it's related to. And, you know, kind of to figure out oh, if it's a, a family tree. Yeah, too. exactly. Exactly. So it's like molecular phylogeny, I think is what it's called. If it's mm-hmm. not, that sounded pretty cool anyway. Or <laughs> like I need to clear. Sounds very technical. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> again, thank you so much for coming back to talk to us. And I'll, I'll uh, as always, this was great talking to you. And I, the book is Thanks. fabulous. And I look forward to getting a hard copy for my wife to steal. Monster Dog. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. You've been listening to an interview with author and photographer Matthew Duman. A link to his newest book, The Grotesque Ten, will be in the show notes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk will be back with episode 199 on Ouija boards. Stay tuned for more big announcements with episode 200. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening and for your incredible support. been a Monster House presentation.